Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue our look at this passage out of Ephesians that Paul deals with the armor of God, the, the armor that we are to wear if we are to be standing firm. We, uh, we move to this one little passage out of Ephesians, which is out of character with how we normally do things, rather than looking at the whole book, following coming out of Jude, where Jude said that encouraged his people and encouraged us to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, that is to all of us who are in Christ Jesus, delivered to us that we might have a greater understanding of what salvation is, what, who, who Christ is. And so, so because of that exhortation by Jude, uh, several people say, well, how do we do that? I thought, well, it'd be good to see what Paul says here about standing firm because in a very real sense, standing firm and contending for the faith are very similar things. We are to stand firm in what God has shown us in his word. We are to stand firm in the truth of God's word, in the truth of his revealed word. And, and so if, if we're going to contend for it, we're going to have to stand firm with it out in the world in which we live. And so that's what Paul starts dealing with here in Ephesians chapter 6, that we might be able to understand how we do that. And, and he uses the armor to talk about it, the armor of a Roman soldier. Now, this is the caricature. Uh, that we've looked at, we call Theo. And, uh, and, and Theo shows us in a, in a cartoonish sort of way, except when he goes off, that uh, what a Roman soldier dressed like, what he looked like, sort of. Now, the Apostle Paul knew that well because he was chained to the Praetorian Guard. He was chained to those Roman soldiers while he was in prison in Rome when he wrote the book of Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. And, and he wrote those letters back to the churches from that Roman prison. And, and so Paul had a good insight, a good look at what the Roman armor looked like. Now Paul is taking that external, very physical thing that he's looking at, armor that he's looking at, and he's making internal and spiritual parallels to it. He's saying, you know, as this protects this part of the Roman soldier, that's what this does, like what we're looking at today, righteousness, that's what it does in the believer's life, in the Christian's life. Last Sunday we looked at the belt of truth. And we saw that the belt of truth helped prepare the uh, soldier for the battle. The belt of truth got them ready. They were able to pull up their tunic, tuck it in the belt, and then they were ready to charge headlong into battle. They'd get tangled up. And, and we saw that the truth that he's talking about is really the truth of God's word. It's the truth of God's revealed word to you and me, what we would call the Bible today, the canon, the, the 66 books that have been put together under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to teach us and instruct us. And if you don't have on the belt of truth, if you don't have the Bible, the, the word of God, as a part of your armor, then, then you're, you're going to stumble and fall and trip up from the very beginning. There's absolutely no hope if that's not a central part, the beginning part of putting on the armor. So the belt of truth is what we wear to prepare us to do the battle. You've got to know the word. You've got to be in the word. Now, the sword will be compared to the word of God later, but it's a different dimension in the belt of truth, we're talking about the objective, revealed word of God right here in this book. Then in the second part of verse 14 in Ephesians 6, he says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, last week, and having put on 
the breastplate of righteousness. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate was a very important part of the Roman soldier's armor, obviously. It covered his whole torso. As a matter of fact, it, it extended down behind the belt just a little bit so that it, it covered and protected everything from his waist all the way up to his neck, including his shoulders and his back. The breastplate covered that midsection and protected the midsection from attack. It was mainly good for, for use in what would have been, we would call hand-to-hand -hand combat. The, the breastplate was primarily a, a, a protection against swords and daggers that the, uh, the enemy might use. As they would come close to the soldier, seeking to stick the sword in to, for the kill, this breastplate would keep the soldier protected from those daggers and those swords being used against him. And, and obviously it's important to protect this part because in here you've got the, uh, uh, you've got the heart, You've got the lungs, you've got the stomach, you've got the bowels, you've got all of the internal organs that if perforated, if, if pierced, can lead to instant death. And so it was important that the breastplate be in place and the breastplate be solid. Now, if you had a chink in your breastplate, if you had an opening in your breastplate that wasn't fitting just right, and there was a hole there, the enemy could very easily take his dagger, his sword, and aim for that and hit that breastplate chink and kill the soldier immediately. So what Paul is seeing here is a soldier who is prepared completely for the battle is a soldier who is wearing a well-fitted breastplate that covers his midsection to protect his life. Now why did Paul look at the Roman soldier and see that breastplate covering the middle section and say, you know, in the believer's life, the breastplate is righteousness. In the believer's life, the breastplate is righteousness. I think to understand why Paul might have done that is you have to understand what the, what the Roman soldier, what in Paul's day the thinking was about what took place in this part of the body. In reality, they saw the heart and the bowels as a part of, as really being the seat of the emotions, the seat of the feelings. Now, we, we know the heart doesn't think, the heart doesn't feel, the heart pumps blood, this heart in here. We recognize that, we know that, but we also, in our own language sometimes, we'll talk about, oh, I love you with all my heart. You know, it, it's, a, it's an expression of, of feelings, it's an expression of emotion. In Paul's day, they might would have just as, as well said, and, and might very well have said, from the depth of my bowels, I love you. Now, we don't see that as quite as romantic, do we, today, as if we say, you know, I love you with all my heart. Just kind of loses something in the translation there. But that's the way they thought. And so when Paul looks at the Roman soldier, and he says, your midsection, your your breastplate is to protect you from these things. He's saying the breastplate, which is righteousness, will protect you in the area of your emotions primarily. It'll protect you in the areas of your feelings. Now, if I were to ask you today, is there a problem in your walk with Christ that sometimes rears itself up that you just struggle with just not feeling right? Not feeling, I've even had people come to me for counseling before and say, you know, I just, don't, I just don't feel like I really have a relationship with Christ. I don't feel like I'm really saved. There's this, this feeling idea that sometimes we get that we just feel like we're not right with God. 
have you ever had that? If you haven't, you're a very unusual person. If your feelings haven't struck you as, as, as with doubts and struck you with fears, then, then you're, you're certainly unlike this pastor. Because there are times in my life when I just don't feel like being a Christian. That's all right. Sometimes I don't feel like being a husband. But I don't quit. I don't stop. And we won't even talk about if she ever feels like not being a wife. We, that's, that's a whole other camera. But, but the point is, feelings can be deceptive. Feelings can be destructive. Feelings can draw us away from what God intends for us to be. And so Paul says, I want you to understand that one of the things that Satan, the enemy, the one who is uh, the spiritual forces of wickedness, the, the world forces of this darkness, which are fighting against the heavenly places, fighting against God, that, that Satan will desire above much else to get to your emotions, to get to your feelings. And I dare say this morning that, that that's one of the ways that Satan attacks you and I more often than anything else. Attack the emotions. Attack the feelings. Uh, put us on what we might call a spiritual roller coaster. You know, where we're going along and boy, we have a high and we feel excited and, and everything's great. And then, man, we crash to a valley and, and all of a sudden we feel just defeated and we feel frustrated and, and, and then come along to another service or another Bible study or maybe a, a, a certain kind of meeting and our emotions get stirred up again. We're back on the top of the world and we just kind of go through life up and down spiritually because Satan desires for us to experience that so he can keep us distracted from what we ought to be in Christ. So Paul says, I want you to understand that righteousness is what will be your breastplate. Righteousness is what will cover you and protect you. I want you to see a couple of things before we get to how that's applied, though, and what that righteousness is. First of all, I want you to understand several things that Satan really desires to do to you on this, this emotional roller coaster. First of all, Satan desires to fill your mind. Okay? Satan desires to fill your mind. He, he desires to, to keep you out of the Word of God and into the world's way of thinking, which is his way. He wants you thinking more like what, what Oprah would tell you than what the Word of God will tell you. He wants you thinking more like what, the, what Dr. Phil would say is the best thing or the right thing or the good thing to do than what God says is the best thing, the right thing, and the only thing to do. He wants to get you so confused and so distorted that he fills your mind with the world's way of thinking and keeps your mind away from his thinking. He wants to fill your mind with, with garbage, basically. Now, what I want to say to you today is the only way you can counteract that is with righteousness that we'll talk about in a minute, but it's also by letting your mind be filled with God's Word, the belt of truth that we talked about last week. You've, you've got to have this Word, you've got to have this truth going in in order to counteract what you're going to hear every day and see every day that is contrary to what God's thinking is. You know, our minds are so deceitful, our hearts are so deceitful that, that we listen to things and see things and they filter in and they're not being filtered by the Word and we think, oh, that's a pretty good idea. I mean, we, we've seen that happen in the churches throughout our land. A lot of churches accepting a lot of things that have that are totally contrary to God's truth, 
totally contrary to God's word. But they say, well, you know, that, that sounds fair. And that sounds okay. That, that sounds like it, it, it makes sense. But in reality, it doesn't make sense. You know, the whole idea that we're, we're facing now with the, with, with the whole same-sex issue, same-sex marriage issue, you know, the, the idea, well, you know, that, that just, makes, just makes sense. It's only fair. If a man and a woman can get married, then a man and a man or a woman and a woman ought to be able to get married. That's the fair thing. And a lot of churches are saying, you know, what's the big deal? The Bible doesn't even talk about same-sex marriage. It doesn't, and that's true. It does not talk about same-sex marriage. It only talks about opposite-sex marriage. And it does that clearly. But when we allow our minds to be so filled, constantly filled, constantly bombarded with the thinking of the world and not filtering it through God's truth, we're easily turned aside. Satan wants to fill your mind. second thing he wants to do is he wants to destroy your conscience. Your conscience. And Paul talks about the conscience even in Romans chapter 1 where he says we have a conscience God has built in us a conscience where we know what's right and wrong good and evil and, and it's there but yet Satan wants us to do things that, that we know we shouldn't because it sears our conscience now I told you last week Flip Wilson was wrong the devil can't make you do it he can only tempt you he can only entice you but he will always entice you with things that are, are pleasurable, things that are, are enjoyable, things that are, are beautiful. I mean, that's, that's all he will do. But, but the reason for doing that, he wants to see you just step over the line one or two times too many because it sears your conscience. And you think, well, I've already done this once. Why not do it again? And our conscience becomes seared. Satan wants to fill your mind. He wants to destroy your conscience. He wants to confuse your emotions. And he, and he does that by unrighteous thinking he confuses our emotions and we think about we think about things in in distorted ways Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 5 he said you know what what happens is many times we we see people start calling white black and black white and good evil and evil good and and, and we just see everything all distorted and and we, our feelings get mixed up in it and and we just feel like we ought to go that way Satan wants to confuse your emotions. He wants to corrupt your desires. He, he wants you desiring that which you ought not desire. He wants you wanting that which you ought not want. He, he wants you to become an idolater is what he wants. He wants you to, to see things that draw you away from the true and living God, knowing that God said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not have anything that's more important in your life than I am, that, that you are to worship me and worship me alone. But he wants to get our, he wants to, to draw us away to seeing things and, and desiring things that are apart from him. Might be riches. Might be fame. It might be... A, you know, a position of power. It could be any number of things. But he gets us to wanting those more than, he want, more than we want to walk with Christ. He corrupts our desires. And, and finally, he draws away our affections to evil. Boy, he just gets our desires going that direction. He confuses our emotions. He, he, he sears our conscience a little bit or gets us to, to do things so our conscience is seared. And, and before you know it, he's filled our mind with lies and untruths. And he's got us with our affections being drawn to evil. Really liking evil. Really wanting evil more than we want God, more than we want Christ, more than we want a relationship 
with him. So Paul looks at this Roman soldier and he sees this breastplate that's protecting the midsection, which the, 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 uh, the Greeks and the Jews both thought as the, the, the sort of the center of the emotions. And he says, okay, in your life, your breastplate will be righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now there's another place in, in Thessalonians, just before the passage Ricky read today uh, in our scripture reading, where Paul calls the breastplate there and just sort of a, a off-the-cuff remark, he calls the breastplate uh, faith and love. And, and so the, this is not a, an absolute thing in, in sense that, that there aren't other things that need to be built in your life too to protect your emotions. Faith and love certainly should. But in looking at this particular place, thinking about the Christian life being lived in the midst of the battle, here he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now obviously, the question you have to ask is, what is this righteousness? What is the righteousness that Paul is talking about when he says, let your protection for your emotions be righteousness. There's really only three possibilities. The first possibility is, is what we might call self-righteousness. That I work real hard, I try to do good, I, I just really put on a front and put on a uh, to everybody that I'm holier than everybody else and I'm better than everybody else and I've got this self-righteousness and got my chest poked out and I'm, I'm just really excited to let you know how righteous I am. I mean, you had the scribes and Pharisees doing that in Luke chapter 18. Uh, but the scripture is clear that no man can be righteous in the sight of God in his or her own strength. The Pharisees tried and, and Jesus condemned them over and over again because of their self-righteousness. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he said, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one may boast. No one can boast. Isaiah 64, 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. And all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Listen, we try, to be, we try to be righteous and do all our righteous deeds, but if they are not done in Christ, if they are not done by Christ's righteousness, then they're like a filthy garment that we wear. We put it on and it's dirty. We put it on and, and we just look wrong. Because self-righteousness never, ever protects us from anything. Matter of fact, self-righteousness is, is like putting on one big paper breastplate. How foolish would it have been for the Roman soldier to say, well, you know, I, I can't really get the, the leather and the metal breastplate that's, that's made for the battle. I just don't have time to get it. So I'm just going to go over here and get me some paper, and I'm going to fashion me a paper or even a cardboard breastplate. And I'll go into the battle with my paper breastplate on, and I'll be protected. What would happen to that soldier? Well, he would be killed immediately. The breastplate has to be the proper breastplate. For the Christian, it has to be the proper righteousness. And self-righteousness, holier than thouness, is not the proper breastplate. The second thing, it, the second type of righteousness that we see in Scripture is, is what we call imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is also justification by faith, if you will. It, it, it's the righteousness that is added to our account 
when we become a Christian. It's God saying, you're not righteous in and of yourself, but Christ died on the cross to take your sins, but not just to take your sins, he died on the cross to give you his righteousness, to apply, to, to account his righteousness to your account. Imputed is a, is a bookkeeping term. It's, it's added to. Paul said to the Corinthian Christians in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he gave us the essence of imputed righteousness. He said, he, that is God, made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, I, I don't know how often you just will take a verse of scripture and, and meditate on it for a week or a month or a lifetime. But could I, could I encourage you to take 2 Corinthians 5.21 and really think about that a while. He made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. That's what happened on the cross. That's why he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he was receiving upon on himself our sin. The, the sins of all who believe were being dealt with right there on that cross at that very moment. Listen, the, the physical pain was not what was so bad on, oh, it was bad enough for sure. But that was not what was so bad on the cross. The physical pain that we can look at and see and, and portray in movies and, and things as horrible, it is horrible in one sense, but it's not the most horrible thing that took place on the cross. The most horrible thing was, was that he received all our sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He didn't deserve it. He never sinned. But he did that so that we might, that is you and me, who have faith in Christ, me and me who have come in new, for, and have this new life in Christ, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. One of my favorite anthems that the choir sings is, is the anthem, Clothed in the Righteousness of Christ I Stand. When we come to the end of time, when we come to the when we come to the time of judgment, when we come to the, the time where everything on this earth comes to an end and Christ has returned and we stand there, we don't stand there saying, Lord, let me tell you what I did. Let me let me see if we can balance this thing out, you know, and I did this much good deeds and this many bad deeds and my good deeds kind of tilt the scales. No, if you stand there like that, you're doomed. We stand there clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone. There's no other righteousness. It's imputed righteousness. It's righteousness that Christ gives us from the cross because of who he is, because of who we are in him imputed righteousness is important imputed righteousness is, is the gospel imputed righteousness is justification by faith alone which, which Martin Luther discovered 494 years ago today or tomorrow actually when he nailed his 95 thesis to the, 
to the Wittenberg door and he said, listen, we've got to deal with all these indulgences. We've got to deal with all these distortions of the gospel because the gospel is what Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, the Jew first and then the Greek. And as the scripture says, quoting Habakkuk, the righteous man or woman shall live by faith. That's the gospel. That's imputation of righteousness that comes through Christ alone. But that's not the breastplate. It's, it's the basis of the breastplate. It's the foundation of the breastplate. You can't have the breastplate without imputed righteousness. But I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here, imputed righteousness, because, you know, Every believer has the imputed righteousness of Christ. But he's talking about something that can be worn as a protection. So I think he's talking about the imputed righteousness that is, if you will, that becomes practical righteousness. That becomes what the Puritans called imparted righteousness. Practiced righteousness. Righteousness, that is, on the basis of our imputed righteousness that we walk in, that we live in, and that we, we, we seek to wear as our breastplate, as our protection for our emotions. Indeed, it's important to understand that what Paul is talking about here is not just something that God has done in you and for you, but is the, it is the outworking. It is the outworking of that which God has done in you and for you. It's the visibleness that Christ has changed you and, and, and redeemed you and has made you his own. It's imputed righteousness that's added to our account that becomes practical righteousness lived out. Not self-righteousness, not holier-than-thou righteousness, but the practical righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's becoming more like him. It's desiring to be more like him. It's walking in his truth. And it's desiring with all our heart. Hear this. It's desiring with all our heart not to sin. It's desiring that. It's wanting that more than anything else. Now we know that we do still struggle with sin. We know that we have problems with sins. But it's, it's desiring to, to when we see known sin that we take it to the cross and we take it to Christ and we say, God, I confess that. I agree with you about that. Cleanse it from my life. I don't want that to be a part of my life. I don't want that sin to be a chink or, or a gap in my breastplate where Satan can take the dagger of his attack and pierce within and destroy my emotions and destroy my walk with you. Sins that we excuse are defects in the breastplate that Satan looks for. Things that we are bent toward. Things that we just excuse in our own life on a daily basis. These are the things that Satan looks for. It's a defect in the, play, in the breastplate. It's a defect that gives him an inroad, a foot in the door to be able to attack you. I honestly think that's what David was talking about over in Psalm, one, uh, in, on Psalm 19. If you want to turn there with me just a minute. This is an important passage. 
Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, uh, David is talking about the Word of God and the importance of general revelation, the importance of special revelation, how important God's Word is to be to us. There would be they're to be more desirable than gold. The word of God is to be more desirable than gold than much fine gold, sweeter than honey, than the drippings of a honeycomb. He said, listen, the, the word of God, the truth of God, the righteousness of God is to be something that we desire to take in and possess more than anything else. Gold and honey, more than anything in our life, we're to want the word of God. And we're to want the righteousness of Christ. He goes on to say in verse 11, Moreover, by them, that is by your word, O Lord, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Now listen to verse 13. This is a, most people just fly over verse 13. I think it's one of the most important verses, maybe the most important verse in this whole psalm, practically speaking. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sin. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Presumptuous sins. That's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? Keep back your servant. He, he uses this picture of, of, Lord, grab hold of me and hold on to me and keep me away from presumptuous sins. What in the world is a presumptuous sin? Well, it's what you and I would call little sins. It's what you and I would call peccadillos. You know, no big deal. Everybody does it. Everybody around me does this little sin, and it's no big deal in the scope of things. And, and besides, I'm in Christ, and I know that in Christ I'm covered with the righteousness of Christ, and I know that in Christ all my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. So I'm just going to kind of go on into this presumptuous, I'm just going to kind of presume upon God's forgiveness and presume upon God's grace, and I'm just going to enter into this little presumptuous sin. It's not a big deal anyway. It's not adultery. It's not stealing. It's not murdering. It's not any of those things that, that we consider the big stuff. The big sins. But it's something we excuse in our own life. And here's what David says. Here's the danger of them. David said, let them not rule over me. Because they will. If you excuse them, if you presume on them, they will get a hold of your life and they will put chinks in your armor and they will rule your life. David recognized that in Psalm 19. Paul recognizes that when he says the breastplate is the breastplate of righteousness. It begins with his imputed righteousness because it begins with justification by faith alone. It begins with salvation, but it doesn't end there. It, it continues on and becomes our breastplate as we see the outworking. Paul said to the Philippians, he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He wasn't, he wasn't saying you got to work for your salvation. He was saying you have salvation, now work it out. Now demonstrate it. Let it be, out, let, let it be a, a seen reality in your life. That's what the breastplate is. That's what the breastplate does. It protects our feelings. It protects our emotions because 
it, it keeps those little sins, those presumptuous sins, the things that Satan uses as an inroad to attack over and over again from ruling over us. What we're really talking about here is a word we Baptists don't use a whole lot. What we're really talking about here is holiness. The holiness of God being applied to our life and that holiness began to work itself out. I know when we think of holiness, we think about, you know, somebody that's just above everybody else and looks down on everybody. That's not holiness at all. Holiness is just being in Christ and walking with Christ. And the breastplate is, is His holiness protecting us. It's His righteousness imputed to us and then becoming a practical thing in our life. Listen, if you, if you don't have a holy life, if, if you don't live in holiness, there, there are several things that, that, that it's going to steal from you. It's going to rob your life. You're going to lose the joy that comes in Christ. Remember after David committed the sin with Bathsheba, which, by the way, began not with uh, not, not with the adultery and the murder and all that he did there, but it began with presumptuous sins. He was lazy. He wasn't out doing what the king ought to be doing, leading his troops. He stayed home, stayed in bed, got up late, looked out over and just thought, hmm. Started thinking about that, let that roll over his mind a little bit and thought, well, it's no big deal. I'm the king. I can do what I want to do. And so he did. That little presumptuous sin of laziness began to control his life, began to rule over him. And it stole his joy. As a matter of fact, I love the way he expresses it. When he repents of that sin in, in Psalm 51, and, and he's praying, Lord, restoring me, you know, making me a new heart, cleanse me with hyssop, uh, just wash me, make me whiter than snow, do your work in my life. But, but then he says this, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Didn't say restore your salvation to me. David, I don't think, lost his relationship with God because of that sin, but he lost the joy of it. And that's what happens to you and me if we, are not, if we let those chinks get in our armor, if we let those presumptuous sins start ruling over us, we lose the joy of our salvation. And then David prayed, he said, and sustain me, Lord, with a willing spirit. That is, make me willing to deal with these presumptuous sins before they ever get a hold of me. You ever pray that way? Lord, I just want to know the joy of your salvation again. I remember the joy I sensed. I remember the joy that I felt, even the emotion that I felt when I came to Christ 10, 20, 30 years ago or last week. I remember that joy. I remember that, that excitement. I remember that thrill that filled my heart when I came to Christ. And Lord, because of circumstances, David would call them presumptuous sins, Paul would call it chinks in the armor. Because of those things, that joy just isn't there. My Christian life is just kind of passe. I get up, I go to church, I go home, I go to work. There's no real joy in Christ. 
that's because your breastplate has some chinks in it probably and you lose the joy John said to that young church in 1 John 1 4 he said these things I write so that our joy may be made complete Jesus when he prayed for me and you in the garden of Gethsemane before he died he said Lord make my joy complete in them joy is to be a part of the Christian life when the breastplate of righteousness is not worn properly or if it's just a paper breastplate you lose the joy you, you, you lose the you lose the privilege of fruitfulness bearing the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control we, we lose that fruitfulness when we're, our breastplate has holes in it. Look at John 15 sometime when he talks about the gardener and the, and the vine and the branches. You, I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus said. And, and, and by bearing much fruit, you will glorify my Father who is in heaven. The purpose of our life in Christ is not just to say, hey, I'm saved, I'll go to heaven when I die. Isn't that great? But the purpose in our life is to know joy of Christ and to know fruitfulness, bearing His fruit, bearing His life, bearing His righteousness in a world that knows nothing about it. You lose your opportunity to glorify God, which ought to be all of our ultimate goal in everything to glorify our heavenly father to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in everything we do bottom line is if we're going to be as an individual if we're going to be as a church what God has called us to be we've got to have the breastplate on there's no I mean let's face it just one dagger from Satan into the midsection can destroy all sorts of things in our life we got to do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 34 he said become sober minded that is serious be serious about this become sober minded as you ought and stop sinning for some have no knowledge of God and I speak this to your shame He's saying, listen, if, if you're sober-minded as you ought to be, and if, if you're wearing the breastplate, and if you are in Christ, then it ought to be your great desire in life to stop sinning. Not just excusing it. Not just overlooking it. Not making excuses for it. A desire to stop. Why can't you stop? We say, well, some can't stop because they have no knowledge of God. They don't really know God. They don't know Christ. They don't have the imputed righteousness so the breastplate can even have a basis or a foundation. All they've got is a paper breastplate. Satan wants to find a little crack, a little space in your breastplate caused by a little presumptuous sin he knows if he can find that little chink in the armor he can go right in 
But we as believers, we as Christians in the 21st century must be committed to the belt of truth. We must be committed to God's word as absolute truth and we must be covered by the breastplate. How's your breastplate? How's your belt? Let's pray. Father, we recognize and acknowledge that our self-righteousness is of no value. Lord, we recognize and acknowledge that apart from your imputed righteousness that becomes practical righteousness, that becomes imparted righteousness, that becomes righteousness that's working itself out, that, that we, we don't have the protection in our, of our emotions. The enemy will depress us. The enemy will oppress us. The enemy will get us riding a roller coaster that just makes no sense at all. Father, I pray you give us a desire to not let presumptuous sins rule over us. I pray, Lord, you give us a desire to live out that which you have placed within our life that it be a reality every day, wherever we are. Father, help us put on the breastplate of righteousness. That we might be protected in you. Father, you tell us to be strong in the Lord, to stand firm on your truth. Lord God, make that our desire. And do it, O oh Lord, in our lives and in our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.